0: Hello, everyone. This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education. I am super happy to be giving you this introduction, even though I already have this podcast available. I wanted to record a quick uh, introduction before it started just because it's kind of abrupt right now. So I was an invited speaker uh, at the National Adapted Physical Education Conference in California, and I was very, very proud of it. It was the 47th NAPEC. I did a 15-minute portion where I talked about the power of connectedness and the podcast, my experience with it, and then it kind of tra- and then it transfers to a panel discussion about the state of APE and inclusion and some discussion about that. In addition, there's another uh, episode that will be coming out about the history of the organization, NAPAC, Uh, and where it came from those 47 years, uh, which should be coming out shortly. So with that, I'm going to uh, let you hear a little bit about this conference, which I really hope you uh, listen and consider trying to join them at some point. All right. I hope you enjoy.
1: Again, this is also the first time that um, we have done a live podcast at NAPIC. So yay, we're super excited for that. We have an amazing keynote today. It's Dr. Scott McNamara. He has a, um, a great podcast if you don't follow it already. And um, so he's going to be recording today. And um, yeah, you guys get to witness it, which is really exciting. Um, if you haven't done so yet, please get our Ed+ Plus app that has our whole digital schedule it has any changes that we might be making to the schedule as well as all of our social events and um maybe like late late additions or anything any kind of update it's going to be found on the app and then also um, we have a hashtag for social media it's hashtag napec47 you'll see it all around the conference Um, make sure you're hashtagging and sharing this wonderful conference with everyone else so um yeah, they get excited to see what we're doing out here. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, when we started to program plan for this conference, we really wanted to appeal to social media through tech, and that's how a lot of our presenters found us, through social media. So the first person we thought of was bringing Scott Mac- McNamaran, because not only could we hear his perspective on APE in his part of the country, but he can come and share the perspectives of everybody who's attending this conference. Um, So we're gonna have a panel up here, we're gonna have a long question and answer after, so please think of your questions, feel free to participate. Um, Scott, he got his PhD from Texas Women's University um, and he recently started a position at the University of Northern Iowa as an assistant professor, teaching two courses right now. So we're very excited to have him here, he traveled all the way from Iowa, so we'll bring him on up and get started. Thank
3: you.
0: alright how's everyone doing good awesome well welcome and uh, thank you very much for for coming and uh, for listening so this is we're gonna talk today um, about I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about the podcast and my experience with the podcast first and a little bit about myself and then we'll have a panel and here's the presentation outline for the next hour and a half I'm gonna talk to you about the podcast and the power of being connected and kind of uh, my experiences, why I created it, and uh, some of that. After that, I'm going to have a panel of some awesome people come on up, talk about the status of APE in our country and in California, and also talk about, um, and, and talk also about least restrictive environment inclusion. At the end, we'll have a QA so you all can jump on and ask some questions, so think about some questions while we're going and ask, and uh, this is a podcast, so right now we're recording this for uh, later consumption, so everything that we say will be recorded and put out there, so have some questions, get on the podcast, and thank you for listening so much. So, All right, so I was really, really, really honored to be asked to come here today, Um, and before coming here, I thought about what I wanted to convey to you all, with this podcast and my experiences. I believe that the podcast has given me a unique voice in our field and I want you all to also go forward and use your own voice to advocate for yourselves and for the field of adapted physical education. We need to use different platforms that we have access to as not everyone has a podcast, and we, but we all have a platform and we all need to use it. And we need to connect with others in our field And we need to even connect with others outside of our field and advocate for our field that we love so much. So I wanted to just talk about my experience of creating it and some of my different experiences and takeaways. So when I started the podcast, that's what people usually ask me. And my wife is an extreme podcast junkie, and she listens to all types of uh, podcasts and she turned me on to them, and I started listening to different podcasts. I listen, I'm listen. i a big basketball fan. I listen to them on, I do, Jalen Jacoby's my favorite one. I listen to Serial. I listen to NPR ones, and I would listen to those, and I just became kind of obsessed with it. And I, every drive I took, every exercise I had, I just, I always was listening to podcasts. But I kind of started finding out that although there's many, many niche types of podcasts for almost everything, I mean, there's... A million. I listened to one on America uh, on the on ADA and how different things are compatible with ADA. Like that's pretty niche. And uh, but I realized that there wasn't one for physical education or for physical education for individuals with disabilities. There's not one on health and disability. There's some on physical education, and then there's some on special education um, and health, but there's nobody putting it together. And For some reason, I took it upon myself to say let me try to do this. Um, And I also did it because I felt like just from my network three years ago when I started this, is that APE teachers often say, their common theme is usually that nobody listens to us and that it's, there's all these barriers, and I thought maybe this would be a good way for us to try to connect. All right, so this is like some of the different topics and areas that I've covered in my podcast, a little word cloud of it. And, um, but once again, I've been given a unique opportunity and a unique platform for myself, but most important for all the types of APE professionals out there. I address concepts related to disability, teaching strategies, and professional organizations. In addition, I, I use different formats, like I do narratives by myself, I do interviews, and I also have panels like we'll have in a little while. Um, And using this variety of voices allows us to connect and share resources, but it also allows us to connect and better understand our own field. I am privileged to be able to listen to people in APE discuss their passions, their insights, and experiences, and to bring their stories and experiences to a wider audience. I've been able not only to listen, but to share stories about Paralympic athletes overcoming barriers to compete and win at the highest levels. I've also heard stories of APE teachers who saw a child take their first steps. Um, I've also, I've shared interviews and discussions with authors of textbooks, app developers, professors, and practitioners on a range of topics. And this is just highlighting some of those different things, I've had over 44 episodes now and all types of people, and I'm really happy that in three years I have over 85,000 views on this, and it's been a really great experience for me. So and this is kind of highlighting. So I highlighting some of the top episodes, and I think this is important because it's kind of just been something interesting for me to track is that it seems like people are listening to these things to try to get some professional development, to try to feel connected, and it's just kind of interesting. Now, the first one is probably most listened to because it's the first one, but it's an interview with an AP teacher about their day-to-day struggles, and then one about behavior management and another one about autism and, and technology. And it's kind of interesting just because if you look at the literature, those are some of the top things in our, lit- in our thing that APE teachers want, uh, that they need. And so it kind of just shows that people are using this to, in an attempt to try to gain professional development and to learn. And it shows our field and how much people want these things. All right, so most importantly, though, I'm able to hear and share stories about APE teachers' daily struggles and lives. I receive weekly emails, or every other week I receive an email from an APE teacher from across the country, sometimes even internationally, about the barriers that they have. A lot of times they say, thank you for making this, um, and then they have questions, they want other resources, they want me to do a different podcast. And I kind of compiled a list of the different um, the different themes that I've gathered from these emails I've gotten over the last few years, and I thought I would share that with you. So. One is that I feel APE teachers let me know they're not respected in their area. They feel like the special ed teachers don't respect them, the PE teachers don't respect them. They feel like they're not respected overall. I constantly am told, okay, you're telling me all these great things about IEP meetings, but I'm not invited to them. What do I do? I hear we can't find professional development. I'm really happy that you're all here right now, and obviously that's really great. But maybe you can't come every year, and maybe, you know, there's a lot of things, and it's wonderful, but a lot of people can't find it. And this might be one means. And just that we're isolated, that the podcast maybe allows them to hear and understand things, because uh, they normally feel really isolated. So these are the things that I've picked up in our field. Okay, more positive things. So. I believe the podcast has allowed me to tell a lot of stories that otherwise would not be told. To be honest, as a formal special educator and APE teacher, these were the stories I wanted to hear. These were the stories I needed to hear. This is really at the heart of why I started the podcast. So you can't imagine how gratifying it is to hear that from APE teachers around the country that they are connecting with with it, what I've created. And I even had a conversation, I had two or three today, of just like people saying They're connecting with it, and it feels really good to have that. They express a sense of relief that others in our field are experiencing similar struggles and barriers that they experience and are still able to then overcome them and be effective teachers. In addition to that relief, they also learn new tools, techniques, and resources from the many speakers I have on. If anything, this process has let me know that if you feel, after looking and searching, like something is missing, consider going forth and creating it, because chances are you're not the only one that feels this way. Alright. I think... Ooh, I think many of you also have some type of platform, even if it isn't a podcast. And by the way, I want competition. People are always want more podcasts and they're, they take forever to make, so please make them. but you can do something powerful with the platform that you all have right now. You can continually be thoughtful and purposeful to to find ways to shine a light on others in our field and yourself. If we as the field of APE have a voice and are able to be heard, not only will this loneliness and isolation dissipate, but we'll be able to further our field in many ways. Using this voice allows us to connect, collaborate, and share ideas in ways that were unfathomable a decade ago. This is where I want to relate to the conference's theme of inclusion. We constantly and rightfully preach the need for inclusion for our students with disabilities with their typically developing peers. But I wanted to bring up a new notion that we as an overlooked profession within special education should advocate for inclusions of ourselves within the special education process. It is essential that we use our voices to help one another and promote our field, sharing thoughts, techniques and strategies that all have merit. It is essential that we use our collective voices to advocate for our field to be included appropriately within the special education process and to ensure students with disabilities get the appropriate services they deserve. I found APE, or APE found me, and it gave me purpose. After searching for so long and wanting to be heard myself, wanting to be part of something, I not only found a purpose that has forever changed me, but I was also given a voice and a platform to help share others' voices. I hope all of you have a similar purpose in our field, and I also give that purpose a voice, as both an individual and as a collective. Our field is often overlooked, we are often forgotten, but if we remember our purpose, then we can go forward and use our voice to overcome these barriers, and let the world know who we are. To relate this again to the theme of inclusion, I believe that APE as a field needs to be better included within the realm of education and special education and seen as equal to all these other curriculums that we're always competing with. We need to be given a voice and raise it. Can you imagine if every district and every state had an APE conference like the one we're here at right now, if we all had an ongoing dialogue with them? We can strengthen our collective voices, we can more effectively advocate for reasonable caseloads to be included in all the IEPs that that we should be at, and most importantly, ensure students with disabilities are receiving the services that they need. I am trying to do something like this with my podcast, What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, but we all need to start amplifying one another. So, through using this collective voice, we will be empowered and able to accomplish bigger and greater things. It is up to all of us to go forward and to ensure we are included in the conversation to give ourselves purpose and a field of voice. Give our field of voice, our purpose and a field of voice. All right. That's my part. So thank you very much for listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I just I threw up some different podcasts that are up there as well, and um, that are out there. I don't think that podcasts are the end all be all, but at the same time, I think they're one medium that you can use to inform yourself and others. But my takeaway is please use these formats to advocate for ourselves. And, and one other thing is just I feel like another thing that comes up is just that people feel I've I've had people email me and say that they feel they were going to quit their jobs and hearing other people's struggles not my struggles but other people's struggles on this allowed them to realize that other people are going through the same thing and that it's okay and that they can overcome it and it allows us in that very isolated area to feel like we're part of something and we are all part of something alright thank you alright so All right, so I'm going to now, we're going to transition, and we're going to do a panel now about the state of APE. And uh, so I'm going to have my uh, panelists come on up. So I have Dr. Rebecca Lytle, who is University at California State. (laughs) All right. University, nope, that's wrong. So that's not the right one there. Okay. Okay, so then that was a quick thing. Okay, then we had Dr. Beth Foster at (laughs) Cal Poly Pulmonoma. My old roommate for office mate, uh, Chris Ahrens, a APE teacher at San Diego Unified, also a former Paralympic athlete, and Ann Griffin, a APE consultant in Iowa. So thank you very much for coming on up. Awesome. Okay, so transitioning now to the Chris. And we all have waters and such, so you can stay hydrated. Isn't that nice? Okay. All right, so let's just go through the panel real quick give yourself a a brief introduction and tell me about your experiences in APE, just a a quick one. What do you wanna start? You pick. Let me start with you.
4: Okay then. Uh, uh, I'm Rebecca Lytle and I'm from California State University, Chico. I am not at, thank you, thank you, Chico grads. I'm not at Texas Women's, although I did spend my formidable formidable years there between the ages of 5 and 10, so maybe there's a reason why that's there. Um, I've been at Chico State uh, teaching as a full-time professor since 1999. I taught there as an adjunct before that, and I taught in the public schools as an APE specialist in rural Northern California for Calusa County for almost 10 years. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
3: (laughs) All right. Hello, everybody. Dr. Foster from Cal Poly Pomona. Make some noise. We got lots of alumni here. Um, I am a professor at Cal Poly Pomona for Adaptive Physical Education. I'm preceding Dr. Perky-Vetter, which many of you know, so she left me an amazing program to try to fill those shoes in and continue on. But my story starts all the way back in Pennsylvania. I start my experience in Adaptive Physical Education. I taught eight years in a school district servicing Only adaptive physical education, 175 students on my caseload. Do not let anybody ever do that to you. But I loved it and I went to 13 elementary schools. Got really comfortable and decided I knew everything, which I did not. It was time to go back to school because I felt too confident. And I decided to go to Texas Women's University where I obtained my master's degree and my PhD with emphasis in um, deaf education. And also I did a lot in adaptive sport and deaf blindness.
0: We were also, yeah, we were roommates, or we are office mates. Yeah, we were mates. office mates, Please so. God. Yeah.
5: All right, I can't match your enthusiasm, so that was the, you've, you've really put me on the spot here. Uh, my name is Chris Ahrens. I teach here in the San Diego Unified School District. All right. I got people pulling through for me. All right. Um, I've been doing that for the last 10 years. Uh, SUNY Brockport educated, undergrad and master's yeah. degree. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, I spent nine years on the United States Paralympic National Soccer Team.
6: Hi, I'm Ann Griffin, and I'm an adapted physical education consultant. I started as an itinerant teacher. I work in Iowa, which is in the middle of the country. We we grow corn, not um, potatoes. (laughs) Uh, And I now work for, some of you know them as uh, cooperatives, a special education cooperative. So I've been in the business for about 35 years, and um, now work in an AEA and my job is to, there used to be five of us, my job now is as one person to assist 250 physical educators in 32 school districts who have between them 8,000 identified kids, about 1,200 of those have severe significant disabilities and my job is to help them figure out what do I do with these guys in phys ed. Because in Iowa, you only need one three-hour class in adapted physical education. And you are licensed to provide specially designed instruction to everybody that comes through the doors of the public schools, which in Iowa is everybody. So um, (laughs) I I am absolutely um, ecstatic to work with fabulous general physical educators. We don't have any adapted physical educators. We have one um, in the 32 school districts, one. And she's here. So, which is way huge, um, but I have great phys ed teachers who do great things for kids. So, um, I'm, I'm delighted to be part of this panel.
0: All right, awesome, and uh, thank you all for, for being here and, and coming and being part of it. So, we're going to just talk, talk about first, like, the state of APE. Like, what are your general thoughts about the current state of APE in California? Uh, and just tell me, like, what do you think, where are we right now? Anybody? Are we doing good? Are Are we doing poorly? What are the things that are happening? Uh, I'll start.
5: I think one thing for me, and coming to this conference really hammers home this point, is that um, it feels like with our field it's implemented differently all over the country wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, here in San Diego, uh, we fall under on the IEP what's called related services. So we determine a set of hours that we administer to the kids. Um, But I remember when I was going through, getting my my master's done at brockport and my practical experience was at a high school where that teacher was the adapted physical education teacher but all they did was they just took the special ed classes and taught pe to them so for me it's difficult to when we when we talk about it from a national perspective is we have so many different models out there and it's being implemented so differently and i know that when i try to do research online or learn or see what other people are doing it's difficult because what we're doing here in san diego could be completely different from how someone has to fill their job somewhere else in the country. So I think that's kind of one of the challenges we face as a field.
4: I think one of the issues we have, and um, while Iowa may not have very many APE teachers, they might have a lot more general PE teachers. And one of the challenges in California is that we don't have very many elementary PE specialists, as you all know. And so, while we have a lot of APE teachers, we don't always have quality APE for them to be consulting with or collaborating with. And that problem hasn't gone away. And I keep, I mean, in the 30 years I've been in the field, that hasn't changed. And it continues to be an issue in California and maybe across the country. Um, but the fact that we don't have qualified, AP, uh, qualified PE teachers at the elementary level is huge. And so a lot of students are getting APE when they don't need to just because they need to get some kind of PE. And so that seems to be an ongoing issue in the state of California.
3: Yeah, and I would like to just piggyback off of exactly what Chris and Rebecca saying. I kind of had the unique experience where I started my APE program in Pennsylvania and had to follow those state laws, then went to central U.S., to Texas, And I felt like I was learning a whole new field of adaptive physical education and new Texas laws. And now, being only three years into California, I once again feel like a brand new student, relearning adaptive physical education and how it's being applied. So I think one of the hardest things is that families are so transient now. They're moving not only within districts, but also within states. And the education systems are totally different through different districts and different states. Not only is it different when it comes to adaptive physical education, but even disability categories and qualifying a student under a disability uh, category under IDEA is different per state as well. So a student that might have identification as an intellectual disability in one state may cross state lines and all of a sudden lose that actual eligibility because that state has different eligibility. So I think when we lots of times feel alone, that our first people that we should pre- be collaborating with is special educators and those general physical educators and figure out how can we broaden this field to that everybody knows what we're doing, but we are working, collaborating together as a whole to better our students, because that is essentially what everybody's passion should be and is.
4: I'd like to add to that, too, that, you know, the fact that we don't have elementary PE teachers is one piece of the puzzle. But all of you know as APE teachers, that the biggest challenge we face is ape teachers in this state is going into classrooms that have 80 students so until we have quality pe across the board ape teachers can't really do their job nor can PE teachers, exactly. and, and, that's and the
6: adapted whole physical education is just great physical education, Exactly. and it's, it's exactly. tailored to every kid, so that's where you have to start. Yeah. So we are lucky in Iowa, and we have we've worked really hard at, at building the base of general physical educators, but as we know in adapted phys ed, it's like what have I got, how else can I use it? So I have, there were no specialists in our area. So the gen ed, phys ed teachers had to step up, and they did. So it's not just teachers, what do we have, how do we use them, um, and collaborate with other professionals, but um, my wheelhouse is equipment. What do you have, and how else can you use it? What else do you do with a water bottle? You know, I mean, uh, you look at things very differently. But starting with the foundation of a great physical education program, we need content, we need great instructional strategies, we need instructional settings that actually that can be taught. In Iowa, we like to just give a general ed, phys ed class, and then we just add an entire special ed class to that. And the teachers will say, well, we're just pushing into first grade PE. And I'm like, well, at every other time of the day, it takes two teachers to teach that number of students. Except in physical education, that phys ed teacher who has had one three hour class in adapting physical education for all these disabilities that just came into the gym, That is is not enough. So collaborating and working together is really good, um, but we have to have um, instructional settings that really match the kids' needs. All students with disabilities are weighted. They get weighted enrollment factors. So kids with significant disabilities in Iowa are weighted 3.74, meaning they get that 3.74 times the amount of money that every individual gen ed kid gets. The district gets that money. Um, But they also count as four kids. So if you take six kids with significant disabilities and add them to a kindergarten class of 24, you have 24, and 24, you have 48 kindergartners in terms of a workload. So actually taking a look at who is going, they're like, oh, it's just PE. It is not just PE, it happens to be the only curricular area that every kid with a disability is required by federal law to have. And that seems to be the best kept secret in the state of Iowa. And maybe the nations. Yeah. I
4: So I think the the big take-home message here is: what can we do about that? Right. And what we need to do about it is to continue to advocate really, really hard as APE teachers with the general PE teachers for quality PE. And what that takes is accountability, which means we need to push districts. And we also need to look at how do we really determine whether a program is quality program. And right now, in the, across the country, there is no measurement tool to determine whether a program is a quality PE program. The only assessment tool we are using is the fitness gram, which is such a tiny portion of what we do. So one of the things that I believe needs to happen is we need, as much as I'm not an advocate for standardized tests, we need some very consistent measurement, tools to hold teachers accountable for what they're doing. And what that will do is it will force administrators to reduce class sizes, because they're going to care about the test scores. And right now, they don't have to care about it. And so the class sizes are big. And uh, so the best, I think the thing that we really need to be doing is advocating for
3: quality general PE as a mass. Just one thing to note, in federal law, it also states that the disability type that they're classified should only be included based upon what the percentage is for the general population K through 12. So they should never be able to put an entire special ed classroom and join it to another class because they'll be above their percentage per that national proportions. It's in the federal law. So when I first worked, As an adaptive physical educator, that's exactly what they did. Why? Because of prep time. We all know for that special ed teacher. So they said, oh, we're going to do inclusion, and you're going to take this whole class of diagnostic kindergartners, which we don't know their disability, therefore we don't have to meet national guidelines, and you'll include them with another kindergarten class. Then we turned around and said, well, what is the top disability categories? If we look at that, you're already over that for national proportions. So my district as a whole adapted the federal law and the fact that they couldn't include any more than three individuals with disabilities into a general PE class, K through high school, so that us as adaptive physical educators too could do our job and not have to worry about the increase of, of the class participants.
6: We don't follow the laws in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> we do not. Most
0: well, states do how many of you all have placement issues, like where you feel like your kids are somewhat impor- inappropriately placed? Huh. Ha- raise all, a hand. Okay, so <laughs> about half the room. So that's, so that's an issue. So, so, okay, we know what the laws are and such. How does an APE teacher actually advocate for it then? Like what are, like, so, I, so we can say this, and I know like right now we're just kind of talking about the status of APE, but to talk about that problem, how does an APE teacher fix that at, in any meaningful way?
6: Well, or I think a PE teacher. Or a PE I mean, teacher. or we don't have matter. professionals. Right. Um, first, they have to know about the law, if they're phys ed teachers, so that they can advocate. Uh, um, and our gen ed phys ed teachers, in, in Iowa, it's a perfect storm. Because our gen ed phys ed teachers are general physical educators. They're general educators. They are hired um, FTE-wise based on the number of gen ed kids that need physical education. But they teach everybody. Um, so, it, as, as I said, it, it's a perfect storm in that one system, general education, they pay for and hire the professionals. And then special education, who knows about IEPs, laws, the federal law, IDEA, IEPs, um, they do not, the special educators do not in service the general physical educators on the process. So, phys ed teachers mostly are in gyms going, I don't know why this kid's in here. Oh, and the paraeducators will say, well, he's just in here for social. And I'm like, well, hello, we're not, we're not working on greetings today. You know, that, there's more to it. So, um, you, the people who need to, the parents need to know that um, their kids could have a better experience. So, that would be a huge place to start. Mm-hmm. And the professionals need to know what their role is. So general physical educators, they don't have time in their schedule to teach the kids. They sure don't. Nobody even thinks about them attending IEP meetings because in the administrator's head, those are gen ed teachers. And we're right in the gap. So it, it makes a problem.
5: I think to your point, Scott, about what can we do as adaptive PE teachers, um, I think it's, it's at least difficult for me because I'm covering six schools SO I MAKE A LOT OF HEADWAY AT ONE SCHOOL, AND THEN I RUN INTO SOMEBODY THAT APPARENTLY THINKS IT'S STILL 1955 AT ANOTHER SCHOOL. (laughs) AND SO AT ONE SCHOOL WHERE I'M TRULY CO-TEACHING A CLASS, AND SO THAT WE'RE NOT JUST DROPPING THOSE KIDS ON AND MAKING THAT CASELOAD OF THAT GENERAL PE TEACHER BE THAT MUCH MORE DIFFICULT, uh, TRULY CO-TEACHING IT, I'M THERE FOR every, EVERY CLASS PERIOD, WE'RE PLANNING TOGETHER, WE'RE DOING THIS, ET CETERA, OKAY, THAT'S AWESOME. BUT THEN I GO TO OTHER SCHOOLS WHERE Uh, It feels like I'm starting all over again. So I think to your point about how do we advocate, everything Ann said was true. Um, I think it's gonna absolutely be a school by school and case by case basis as unfortunate as that is until we start to get some of that help at the top where a large district like the one we're in with 200 plus schools just flat out says, this is what you have to do.
3: The other thing I wanna talk about is that we tend to use the term placement and service as simultaneous and they're not. And so I think, the one thing we need to do as a field is really be able to figure out how do we actually define these terms because it impacts our field. So if you're looking at a service, it's whether or not they're going to, they need adaptive physical education service. That's what we're providing. The placement then goes back to their least restricted environment. And what is the best place to then provide this service. And many times people say, oh, well, APE placement should never be about placement. It should be about the service that I'm providing. Once I know my service because that's what that individual needs, then I look at, based upon many factors, what's the best placement for that? And so I really try to advocate for everybody to instead of be calling it APE placement, that we really redefine that it's an APE service. If they qualify for the service, then we should be looking at the I and the IEP. I'll requote Rebecca, she said that today. Is that now we are looking at the placement that is best for that individual to provide that service. And they're not two same things. So we need to make sure that we are looking at them separately when we talk about them.
4: How many of you are uh, familiar with the California Guidelines for Adaptive PE? Okay, if you haven't and aren't familiar with them, you can access them through the CTC website or through the SCAPE website. And it has really nice descriptions of different kinds of placement options and services, how we qualify for APE, and it's a wonderful resource if you're needing resources to advocate with your administrators. Um, The other thing is the State Council used to, and I think they still do have, um, fact sheets for parents, for administrators, and for general ed teachers that were, uh, that give a nice explanation of what APE is about and what the rights are and what how to advocate for that? So they were handy little sheets that you could give out, and I think those are still available through the Scape website. Anybody know out there if they are? They need to be updated. They need to be updated. Okay, are they still on the site at all? I'm not sure if they are. I know that they need to be updated. So I made Okay, well, I will make a note that we need to do that.
0: It, it sounds to me like it's a pretty daunting task from the bottom up approach to try to advocate for these things and we do need more like we need large approaches to do these things and because you know as chris said it's like you know it's it's more putting out fires and such rather than actually ma- making any gain in momentum when we're all over the place so it's you know and and my question to that then is that you know i asked you all about the state of ape and such is that should that then be so much a focus from an individual level or it should be more of a collective level that we should really be focusing on that? But maybe that's just a food for thought thing too. But um, yeah, Well, I think
3: one of the hardest things is that each of you sitting here are already doing your job because you're here for this conference. So first of all, thank you for that. Give it up to all the participants. Which means that you're not the issue. (laughs) Right? Because you're advocating, and you're wearing the thousands of hats that you wear, whether you're an APE, a PE, an admin, a consult. What we need to be doing is recruiting the people that aren't here and get them here get our general PE teachers to come to this conference and be an advocate and be able to learn and get those people that are inspired and are passionate to be here to learn about it so that we can refuel our field. I have the passion and enthusiasm only because I know what an impact it makes every single day. That's why I do my job and I love what I do. I can't imagine as a general PE teacher they feel that way. I wouldn't. I got asked my second year teaching as an APE teacher, first of all, they told me that when I started my job, to not put APE in any IEP. You want to know why? Because if they had budget cuts, I'd be the first person to go. Because if it's not in an the IEP, they don't have to provide the APE service in Pennsylvania. So what Anywhere. did I do?
6: Law. Anywhere. If it's in the IEP, it's, it's law. Yeah. So
3: slowly and surely, I started sneaking APE. <laughs> right one year i do three next year my second year i got approached and said you know if we had to um rearrange things would you take a position in general physical education and i said no i knew it automatically okay because it's a difficult job and i love what i wanted to do so we need to find those good general pe teachers and get them to this conference because they are our advocates Those will be the ones when we have to work bottom up that can implement and allow us to co-teach and have a very successful place that our students with disabilities feel safe and successful in. So I'm going to challenge all of you because I know you're the advocates because you're already sitting here. To next conference, figure out a way that you can pull with you one of your general PE teachers and get them here so we can hear their voice voice, and we can start. Woo, thank you. Yeah, yes. I know you're out there, but again, you're not who we need, because you're here, we need the other ones too. So let's get them all here, all of them.
4: I'd I'd like to add to that, you know, we're talking, you mentioned um, trying to work on this from the bottom up and how challenging that is as APE teachers in the field and trying to work with general ed teachers who have 60 kids in their class and all of that. But I want you to know that it is my opinion that it's happening from the top down as well. And there are several of the CSUs that have new collaborative training grants. And um, Pomona has one, and Chico has one, and Humboldt just got one. And all of those are collaborative teacher training grants, which means that at least two disciplines have to be training together to go out into the field to teach. So it is, and that's coming from the federal level. And we were just sitting in a meeting, and they were talking about how at the state level, the CTC is pushing for the training to happen simultaneously and together for general ed and special ed. And we're not sure yet what that means for PE and adaptive PE, but a lot of the programs even in the state are starting to to make their programs completely infused. So the general PE teachers are getting all the coursework for APE. And uh, ideally, I think that's the direction that we're moving. And once, once we shift to that completely, everyone who comes out, whether they're a general PE teacher, we may not, ever, we may not have AP teachers. You'll all come out with both. Tra- individuals who come out with both training. The key, then, is still to get our class sizes reduced. Because you can't do quality teaching with 80 kids in a class. So it comes back to that issue again. But things are shifting. I so, think they are.
0: So um, I just want to kind of so and that's a good transition because i I had kind of a question so i kind of just at that asked that really open-ended question of like what is the state of ape and we pulled out like that we need more elementary PE specialist we need placement quality controls training um and then we highlighted some positives what are some positive things that are happening in our field i know we're always daunted with all these barriers and such but like what are the things that in recent years that we're doing well maybe or what what is happening at you know at a national or at state level that we're doing well as a field silence (laughs) (laughs) No.
5: i think uh if you look if you jump on twitter or any of the social media um, i'm actually really proud that my middle school just became a unified champion school so i think a lot of the partner work with special olympics is actually fantastic and awesome um There's some great people, again, on Twitter. uh, One gentleman, uh, he might be from Iowa, I'm not sure, but Mike Doyle, um, I follow him. Minnesota, thank you, you're familiar with him, yeah. I mean, the stuff he puts up, fantastic, and that's where uh, that was my first exposure to Unified, and so I'm seeing that happen around the country, and so I think that that's one really quick answer that I can give of what's going on nationally that we're doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, I would concur. I think we're doing very well on social media overall.
3: And I think the thing about social media, it brings us together as a whole, and we're always stronger in numbers. So the more we can collaborate, the more we can reach out, the more we can find like-minded folks that are here, the louder our voices. And we need to continue to increase that voice. So the more presence that we have, not only here in California, but all across, and can collaborate and build, so that when we do get a federal law in place, or that we do get some leeway at the federal level, that we are unified as one whole, Voice instead of different states doing different things, that we're together and we know what our focus is and what our answer is.
0: Another point to that, um, I think sometimes, like, so even like going back to like when I asked us the status and we labeled, we, you know, we named all these different things and they're totally real, is it, should our voice be more purposeful and like, and how like, should we be directing it towards one of those areas and really trying to improve one of those areas? Sometimes I feel like. You know, we're all over the place because we have so many barriers. Is there, collectively, and is there leadership to even, like, kind of move us that way?
3: Well, I think one of the things is, if you've never heard of it, the National Consortium is available across the U.S. to represent us as a whole. Um, Be a member on there. That provides us information that is occurring at the federal level and really provides us a one unity voice. We have a conference every year at Washington, D.C and it's all adaptive physical educators and different service providers, so that would be the first step to join the voice. Um, I know people have struggled with the transition from AFER to SHAPE America. Um, If you are within that transition through adaptive physical education, it's been up and down, but they're one of the leading voices, and we need to not allow the name change and all the issues that have occurred in the past of where we're at really focus on the negatives, and more so focus on the fact that our profession as a field, as physical educators, is moving forward. They're going to move either with us or without us. And so instead of thinking about, I'm going to make a stance and not be a part, let's join them and make our voices heard. So those are two of our national leaders that if you want to continue to advocate and be a part, that's where I would say to go and to join and be a member.
0: Any other thoughts? Okay, you concur, you concur. And
6: I I would go, I would tag to neuroscientists, and Mm -hmm. um, look at the neuroscience. I mean, all of the research that's been coming out, the 1990s was supposed to be the decade of the brains. Okay, and we're way past that now. But when you take a look at the field of physical education and what it provides to brains, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of doing a, a workshop called Build a Brain Workshop. We have taken so much motor out of kids' experiences from the time they're sitting, you know, in their little, propped in their little chairs at 45 degree angles um, and strapped down um, to, you know, no elementary PE. So we don't have um, kids' brains developed with visual motor skills, perceptual motor skills, stuff that we used to do in phys ed all the time. When kids have PE five days a week, we could teach all of that. Now maybe they get phys ed once a week. And maybe then, oh, we missed that because now we, oh, we have an assembly, so there's no phys ed. But anyway, there is a ton of research that says what does exercise do for our brains? Okay, it does everything that superintendents want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It increases academic um, achievement, mm-hmm. it decreases maladaptive behavior, and increases adaptive behavior for kids with and without disabilities. It makes us healthier, healthy. Kids learn better. Healthy brains learn better. Um, all of those anxiety and stress from social media <laughs> are going through the roof. I, don't, I can't tell you the number of kids I see now wearing hooded sweatshirts backwards so they can just go like this and check out. And that, that is, to me, huge evidence of anxiety. What is the most natural antidote to anxiety and stress?
5: Endorphins.
6: Exercise and moving. And we don't allow kids to do that. So we need to do that. We really are essential to brains being able to learn and kids being able to grow and to socially connect with people. So we can, we can solve almost all of the problems. If you take a list of 20 of the superintendent's top issues, About 15 of them can be solved with fabulous physical educators and physical education programs. Mm -hmm. So, tagging on to what's in the science. and I I had a bunch of science consultants the other day looking at one of my contraptions and they said, Ann, do you know how much science there is in in that um, catapult thing you have? And I said, John, do you know how much science there is in physical education? You know, it's a whoop right over their heads. It's like, hello. (laughs) It is all science. And the science of the body and the brain is the newest science. And I think that is a huge, big message. It's a little out of our field. But our field has been, I mean, I've watched the pendulum swing from daily physical education to, okay, that teacher needs a prep. Um, We need to come back to. It's good for all of us. We all need to do it, and we need to take the time to make the schedules so that the kids get the experiences that they need all the way through life,
3: and that the teachers get to move as well.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm going to start. That was still the first question, kind of, so we're playing with. So, um, all right. So, I, I want to just. We'll have a brief conversation about legislation, and then we'll go into inclusion and least restrictive environment and kind of debate that topic. But so, all right, so what are some, how has law legislation uh, affected us in recent years, and what might be coming down the pipes in the next few years? I know that idea was supposed to be reauthorized quite a few years ago, and it hasn't. So what does that all look like at a state level and national level in recent years? What's happening? Thoughts?
4: From what i know idea is sitting on the shelf and it's probably good that way because when it comes up for reauthorization they may make significant changes to it that may or may not be in our benefit so having it sit quietly is a good place
3: right now but i I think the biggest thing means that we don't sit quietly though no even though ida is sitting quietly that's where we wanted to stay But the biggest thing that we need from all of you in the field is parent letters of support for adaptive physical education and the impact that it's made on their child. Because when IDEA comes around to be reauthorized, we want to make sure that we send them to the federal govs and they read those letters to know how important physical education is to stay in there. If you didn't know, when it got reauthorized in 2004, one parent, one parent wrote one letter into IDEA and that what is what reauthorized it in the fact that children with disabilities, yes, need physical education. However, there is a caveat that is in the reauthorization that if their peers do not receive physical education, such as in California, if they have no PE teacher, that then a student with a disability does not need to have PE either unless it is Um, needing to be modified or individualized, which allows us to then provide the adaptive physical education. But that was one parent and one letter. That parent wrote it because their school lost PE in elementary school, had a child without a disability, and said, why did all the students with disabilities continue to receive PE, but my child lost it? I want PE back. And she was writing this letter thinking that it was gonna be positive for both, APE and PE, and here the federal government took it and then lost a lot of PE services for our individuals with disabilities. One letter, one parent. So even though IDA might be sitting quiet, it is up to all of us to be getting those letters now about how important quality physical education And adaptive physical education is. You will be getting information from the consortium. We already presented that at this past conference to start collecting them so that we have them ready for when they start looking at the law. We can send. Tons and thousands of letters from all across the U.S. from different states that says not only do we need to stay in I.D.A. but we need quality physical education to be a part of that as well and define what that looks like. Not just the definition of what physical education is, but what the program should look like as well.
7: That's a question. Yes.
5: I just actually have a question uh, out of I'm not familiar Uh, when it comes to laws and stuff where uh, where is most of the conversation in regards to our field taking place is it with the consortium that you spoke of Mm -hmm. or so if we if I wanted to know more Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's an area um, I think at the college level you probably have a little bit it's more on your radar than I would say for people that are in the trenches just teaching their class day to day. So how can we become better educated on this.
3: That's a great question. Actually, um, both Scott and I just rolled off of the board at the National Consortium, and one of the biggest things that we're working on is revising, revamping our entire website. I have to honestly admit it's not a great place to go right now, but we are making leeway. Every single resource you would ever need to know as an adaptive PE, teacher, parent, professor, admin is gonna be on there, every Dear Colleague letter, every resource, you're gonna be able to upload letters so that we have a one unified place. We are just now currently in the transition of upgrading, getting more accessible, and changing our website platform. So if you go there tonight and you're like, oh, what's this national consortium? Um, It's NCPEID, I I said that too fast. NCPEID.org is a website to go to. It is a mess right now, we know that. We're trying to provide that one voice to you. So yes, I would say those are the people that are going to Capitol Hill and trying to make a difference. So that is your point to find out information and figure out ways you can advocate and stay up to date. And Beth,
4: Beth mentioned the Dear Colleague letters. Anybody know what a Dear Colleague letter is? Some of you do. Um, a Dear Colleague letter is usually a, ca- a clarification of the law. And so if there's an inquiry about an explanation within IDEA or any federal law to the government, then they will respond to that. And there's several of them on there. One of them came up in relationship to serving preschoolers Mm -hmm. because when the law was passed and it said you only have to give PE if the general, population, the general ed is getting P.E., there was a lot of pushback on that because preschoolers were typically getting adaptive P.E. Well, the Dear Colleague letter clarifies that yes, preschoolers should be getting physical activity and thus can receive adaptive P.E. So um, there are a couple... There's couple others up there as well, I think, related to transition and extracurricular, extracurricular activities. So uh, if you go to that website, you can look at the Dear colleagues' letter, Colleague letters, and it may actually help you advocate for what's going on in your own districts. If you're seeing them cut services to preschoolers or the transition group, or if you're having trouble because you have students who want to participate in extracurricular sports and they're being denied access. So uh, it's a great resource for those things.
0: All right, I'm going to transition us now to that least restrictive environment inclusion thing where we'll have a lot of maybe more fiery uh, <laughs> ideas and, and opinions, but okay, and I'm going to go to now that inclusion has been a term for the last 20, 30 years, and I know Dr. Block's going to be talking about it soon as well, but it's been a term now for, for quite a while. Um, how has our field progressed with our definition and use of inclusion? And have we been successful with developing inclusive programs in this? 20-plus years, and or your experiences with it.
6: Uh, Yes, we've been successful developing lots of inclusive programs, Um, some better than others. um, And uh, and again, it's what do you have, how how can you use it? Okay, back to the colleague letter about the preschoolers, we just turned that one on its head. So the pre- we have preschoolers, you know, and again, that's where you learn motor. So if you've already got a developmental delay, hello, you should be getting adapted physical education mm-hmm. by a professional. So we made that point. We got that done in one district so that the identified kids got PE. And then we used, said nobody should go to PE without friends. <laughs> and, and so we said, hey, we need to have their, their gen ed peers need to come into phys ed with them. So we turned it on its head, and because we had the identified kids in the class, we said, hey, we need some peers, bring them in. So we increased the size of the class the opposite way. So being tricky with um, how, how you use the things is, is helpful as well. But the kids, um, in terms of inclusion, once kids get to know each other as, and, and teachers get to know kids with disabilities as people instead of as, uh-oh, there's this weird kid coming in my class. Once we get to know each other as individuals, then inclusive practices seem to be um, readily available. Very but inclusion uh, as, uh, in the field, it, it, in my head, inclusive education goes way back to special ed, and it only means you go to school according to age and address. I, I go where I'm supposed to go by where I live, just like everybody else. Um, we have a little thing in Iowa where they like to say, oh, well, we're, we're inclusive and so everybody's just going to go to general pe well it's like that's not the meaning of that so you d- you do have to be careful with who's using the definition what's the definition and and how you're using it because just merely placing kids in proximity is not an inclusive environment it still requires that we teach that we have good instructional evidence based practices that we that we actually create an environment that is welcoming and everybody wants to be in, that we have equipment choices that everybody can use and and facilitates diverse learners across the board, and that we actually have some assessment that says this is what they learned. Um, So all of those things need to be in place. Again, great physical education is inclusive, but the the word inclusion has been corrupted and co-opted a lot in my experience.
4: Yeah, in my opinion, the word inclusion means learning in the general education environment with the supports and services necessary to be successful, and too often that last piece is missing. It's the dump and hope um, philosophy of just putting kids in there and expecting it to work. So um, I think everything she just said is, is a successful definition of successful inclusion. There's a variety of strategies. There's a variety of choices. There's quality physical education. Um, so in my opinion, that's, that's the focus of that. Um, and when I first started teaching in the public schools, I worked for a very progressive um, administrator, and they were just starting to do what was termed full inclusion at the time, which meant that every child with a disability was educated in the general education environment with their peers, with the support services they needed to be successful, 100% of the time. So they never got pulled out for separate services. Services were pushed in. And um, what was interesting was that those kids that started in preschool in inclusive settings, transitioned really well because they were just part of their peers and part of their group and transitioned into elementary school and transitioned into junior high. But kids who got transferred into that district from somewhere else really, really struggled because they had come from segregated settings and they maybe had more behavioral issues. They had other kinds of challenges. And so that inclusion experience with those supports, I think create a very supportive uh, environment for those kids to learn and be successful. Um, That same county where I used to work, though, is not doing full inclusion anymore. It probably looks more like most counties, where there's a whole host of possibilities and placements for students, because it's not cheap to do full inclusion. So there are some challenges there.
6: And one size fits Mm -hmm. all, not. It doesn't you know, work there is, there, you can't just say everybody's going in, It doesn't work in anything. I mean, we, we already know that. So with kids, it's the same way.
5: And to the, everybody's made the point, but to the point of, when you just drop kids in. If you wanna burn out a professional relationship really quickly, that's the number one recipe to burn it out when you just drop them in. Um, I I can only speak from my own experiences. I know that uh, one area that's worked really well for me in terms of inclusion, and I did mention it, is the co-teaching. So we include to the greatest extent possible, but then I am there to also provide a parallel environment when necessary. So what we've done at my middle school is we go out and recruit general ed students that are the mother hens of the world. They're more mature we we still get really athletic kids we still get um we still get the cool kids we do um and i'm not exaggerating when i tell you that this program now in its fourth year has helped change the culture of a school to be a more inclusive accepting school-wide culture Um, and the reason we did this was i am very lucky at this school i have a physical education teacher who used to be a special ed teacher that doesn't happen for everyone And I took over for a retiring teacher, and they said, oh, we do inclusion. And it's exactly what we've talked about. It was fine, but you're you're dropping a student with autism in a full-sided basketball game, and they're spinning circles, getting their sensory needs met. I don't see how that's safe for anyone. And we didn't have the right mix of kids with them. We didn't have the right kids that wanted to make that friendship or make that relationship. And so we looked at each other and said, there's got to be a way we can do this better for everyone, for the gen ed kids and my students on my caseload. So we kicked around some ideas and we said, hey, what if we just ask kids if they wanna be in this class? Mm-hmm. And the first year was a little bit slow, but then word got out. And we do, we do fun things with them, right? We do a pizza party, we, we have a rec center nearby where we walk to the park for like an off day. So we do treat them a little differently. But the truth is include to the greatest extent possible, I found, and then when you need that parallel environment, it's there so that your students, is, so it's not just social skills, hello, how are you? Um, they're still having their needs met. Um, and you have to have that relationship with the, with the general PE teacher, and if you just drop kids in, you're never going to get
0: there. Are there times that we shouldn't advocate for inclusion?
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest things, and, <clears throat> excuse me, Scott, you know about this. There's this big debate across our field, across the U.S., about inclusion, whether inclusion is a placement or whether inclusion is a philosophical belief. When it was initially brought to everyone's attention, it was more based off of your philosophical belief. It could be your teaching statement that you believe that individuals with disabilities will perform better and are best educated in an environment with their general peers. Now, inclusion isn't listed anywhere, stated anywhere in IDEA because federally, inclusion isn't, right? It's the placement of being in your general PE classroom That if you're able to do it, then that's where your placement should be because that's what least restricted environment means And so I think the difficult thing is trying to figure out Inclusion is beneficial if we provide the supports, but it's always this hope model and everyone just hears inclusion They're like, oh, it's gonna be so great But it's usually not it's usually not and I think the biggest thing as a field that we need to respond with, and I responded my second year when I was told that I was gonna have students, my students that I provided APE services all of a sudden became included now in their general PE before I could help transition them or figure out what they needed, is I said, well, what do you do before you include them in an academic class? We don't include them in the academic class. Whoa, <laughs> exactly, whoa, hold up. They're not ready in an academic class. But I got, now, excuse me, doesn't. how are they ready for <laughs> physical education then? You're going to include them in the most chaotic environment ever. You're not sitting behind a table. They're going to be, there's balls flying, people are yelling. I'm like, but yet that's the best placement that we should be including them. So I would advocate before you include, ask that question. Because in an academic setting, they're going to have supports in place. But all of a sudden now when we go to pe they think it's just pe why do we need any (laughs) academic supports so that could be the change the difference that makes a placement in general pe inclusion successful
0: but is that so are there times though that even like with some of those things in place are there times that we shouldn't um advocate for inclusion are there other like, besides just people not being trained, are there other times that that's not appropriate?
5: I think if you have a student who clearly can't access that environment with the supports in place yeah. safely and appropriately, then that's not yeah. their least restrictive environment.
6: Exactly. If they're in a fetal position outside the door of the gym, that is not the least restrictive setting. So, you know, yeah. it's like, okay,
3: take a look. The kid won't even go in. This is not the least restrictive environment. The other thing is that we are always the advocate for our students, and I've dealt with PE teachers that did not, did not want that student in their class. They didn't want the student even in their school, maybe. <laughs> and yeah. so if I, put, if I put that student in there, I knew they would not be getting a positive experience, and that positive experience would then lead to the fact that they hate PE, they hate movement, and now it's a domino's effect. So I know there's many professors that say, no, that's, we, gotta, we gotta make that teacher. I'm never gonna build a relationship with that PE teacher if I force my student into that. And I would never wanna be forced into an environment where someone doesn't want me to be. So for me, I need to say, wait, that PE teacher's not ready yet. Let me build a relationship with that PE teacher. Let me gain some trust. Let me say, I'll support you. How can I help support you? And then hopefully have a breakthrough with that PE teacher to then allow them to have students be in their physical education environment. Because for me, at times they're not much of a difference from an APE student being included to a student that just has poor motor skills but has no disability they're also not happy in that PE teachers class right. so the more I can educate that PE teacher and get them up to speed not only will it impact all of my students with disabilities going into their class but it's also going to impact all those non athletes in PE that hopefully will not become obese and will now be able to live a much healthier life it comes back to quality
4: PE
0: <laughs> so we're, we're gonna finish on this note and then I'm gonna ask if you all have some questions uh, and I would love to hear them but I kind of want to just on that, that point, though, so, so we talked about inclusion as a philosophical point of view that students with disabilities, like, deserve to be with their peers mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible or at all times, um, and then we have this least restrictive environment thing. Is it, so I understand from, and I, you know, it's, I can understand from the practical standpoint what we're saying but are we letting down our kids from a philosophical point of that they're people and they deserve to be with their peers when we limit them by saying, well, this PE teacher's not ready um, to take them on. I mean, I know those are practical things that we do have to deal with, but like, I mean, we are working with people and people that have rights and that we need, you know, that often are forgotten about. Is it, like, how do we deal with that philosophical and that practical issue?
3: I think the first step is reverse mainstreaming have individuals have students without disabilities come into your ape class so that they have peer interaction and lots of times it's those not athletes in that PE teachers class that are like please get me out of here I'll come I'll come to that class because they don't want to be there either yeah. so reverse mainstream have your amazing ape class that you're providing the service for and say to that PE teacher I'm gonna help you you know how I'm gonna support you I'm gonna take ten of your students and I'm going to teach them so that now you have a lower class size and you can do better things when really you're doing it because one, you want it to benefit your students with disabilities and two, those students really don't want to be there and they're not going to be successful because it's not a healthy environment. So it's a win-win for me.
4: Sometimes I think, uh, philosophically I absolutely believe in inclusion and I believe in inclusion with the appropriate supports. smaller class sizes with a variety of instructional modes and all of those things that would make it the perfect scenario. But I ask myself this question when it comes to an individual student. Regardless of the disability, I want my child placed in that classroom. And if the answer is no, then it doesn't matter whether that's with their peers in general PE. If that teacher and that environment is not supporting the learning of all students in that classroom, with or without this student in it. I don't want that child in there. I don't want my own kids in there. So what's the quality of the education? And fortunately or unfortunately, if you're an adaptive PE teacher and you have a caseload, you actually get to make that call. You don't get to make that call for your own kids if they don't have a disability going
3: through the schools.
4: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, so that is is sort of the way I always viewed it was, Is this a quality learning environment for the student? And if I have a choice for putting them in a a quality learning environment where they're going to gain skills and learn, I'm going to go for gaining skills and learning, whatever is going to serve the child best. And unfortunately, that isn't always the general ed environment. I wish it was always the general ed environment, but it's not. And the general ed environment is not just
6: Static either. I mean, kids get support one-on-one, small group, all sorts of things. So, again, there are lots of instructional settings and groupings. Um, We just tend to, for phys ed, say, how many gen ed ed teachers need a prep? That's how many classes we're going to have. That's not quite good enough. So, if we do a better job of individualizing and matching kids' needs at their time of learning to the instructional setting, I'll read countless IEPs that says, learns best one-on-one, learns best in a (laughs) small group setting, and then, like Beth said, they throw them into a general phys ed setting that's uh, completely chaotic and way too many kids, and and you've got a, a phys ed teacher who's got five different disabilities in the PE class, and they don't even know who those kids with disabilities are or what disabilities they have, so if you, if you set it up so the teachers are, we have set it up so that they will fail when we make giant set sections like that. But if we pay attention to what does this kid need, and we do have a law that says we get to pick the least restrictive environment, that's the place where the student can learn and gain access to the general education curriculum, which is the foundation of what we're teaching is to say, hey, it's adapted PE, what are you teaching? And I'm like, excuse me, what are, what's the lesson? What's the unit? You can't adapt to nothing. You have to start with something. You have to start with the, the core that you're teaching. And then you also have to figure out what's the setting. And that we don't have flexibility, and that's an administrative issue.
3: But that does need to occur. Can I make one quick comment? Our other thing is our paraeducators or our assistants. We have to motivate them and want them to move. The more complaining we do about paraeducators, is not helping any of us or our students, okay? They have the hardest job of any educator, are those paraeducators. We need to figure out a way to recruit them so that their one moment of fun, happy, good times in their job is when they come to PE. And if we can, we can re- recruit them and get them to buy into our program, they're our number one source to not only make inclusion successful, but to make the education of that student that they work with much more better.
6: They can make it or break it. So you do have to plan so that they have fun in your class, too. So what are your students? Think right. about it that way.
0: Obviously, we could talk forever about these things. <laughs> do you all have some questions for us about inclusion, about the state of AP, about really anything? we got a nice panel of experts. What are your questions? What are your thoughts, what are your experiences? We actually have a room full of yeah. experts. Yeah, Got I was going to say. Right you could say your name, where you're from too, that would be
8: great. Sure, I'm Kasha Givenrod, um, I teach in Brea. I am the only adapted PE specialist in my district, and um, kind of something that you guys had mentioned before was a lot of the inconsistencies across the nation, across the state, um, even from district to district in California. I had recently a student teacher who went to a different district and then ended up calling me saying, this isn't legal, right? (laughs) Like, how how can we create more consistency? Because I feel like a lot of our struggle is like putting out fires because one thing is one way, another is totally different. And even adaptive PE specialists within one district can't agree on what the appropriate thing is to do. So is it, do we train administrators so that our special ed directors know the right thing? Is it principals? Um, Some of you guys are from universities, so I'm just kind of wondering, is there a way that we can better implement consistencies throughout our profession?
0: usually I'm like just the moderator and I have experts on, but like that's kind of like where I've been, my research has actually been, is like with the administrators. Cause I see that as an area that we haven't, yeah, we haven't really tackled it too well on how do we, um, you know, I, cause I, I, my general thought always is that most of us are people and most of us want to do good things. We don't, I mean, we want to give services to people. It's usually people don't understand or know uh, and it's and I, I do think a huge missing component of um, our area is how do we communicate to administrators? We know that there's all these barriers and such, and we're I mean we're well aware of all these things, but like what are our strategies to actually communicate these things? Um, you know one of the things I have tried or advocated is like that was my dissertation is I used podcast and gave them to special ed administrators to learn about APE, and um, you know and saw if that was an effective way, and I. Well, it was somewhat effective. It was it was yeah, small effect happen? size, but, <laughs> but it was. And I mean, it's just a unique way. But, like, I think we have to, like, what I was talking about with social media, I think we need, like, a collective voice mm-hmm. to raise these awareness. We need to go viral is what we need to do. Um, and then we need to show, we have to have videos. We need to have books. We need to have... Conferences. We need to have podcasts. We need to have all the different mediums and be able to give it to them, and so that they can learn because they're learners as well, and give it to them in whatever medium their learning style is.
4: I think the uh, consortium, in some ways, is a good resource, but there aren't enough of us. And uh, one of the things that happened recently, because it's a trickle-down effect, so there was a presentation a couple years ago through the federal government. Um, to the state directors of special ed, and it was a podcast that several of us did that was about what is adaptive PE and what should you be doing and, and um, but that, you know, hit a few of the state directors of special sure. ed and then, you know, maybe those people change roles. So that podcast or we- webinar is probably still accessible, but the more you can Find resources and educate your own administrators. I think that's key. Maybe just you know, casually make sure he has a copy of the adaptive PE guidelines. Print them up and leave them on his desk. And um, the, I think the more you can advocate for your programs, you know, one of the best things that one of my mentors did for me was say, "Do something big," so yeah. they know who you are. Once a year, do something big. And it makes a huge difference because if you do something that brings everybody together from the general population and the special ed, whether it's a jump rope for heart event or some sort of sport day event that's integrated or something, so that you're you're getting positive press in the news and a positive from the other teachers saying, oh wow, that was such a great event, we love doing that. Make your presence known, whoever you are, wherever you are, make your presence known in your districts so that you get administrative support. Then when you go to your administrator and say, gosh, did you see this new legislation piece? that came out, or do you know that we have these handouts available for parents or teachers? Are you familiar with the guidelines? They're gonna be receptive to you. So that, that, I can't express enough the importance of advocacy for your own programs from the bottom up, and then those of us who are at the consortium, and if you wanna get involved in the consortium, you can work from the top down as well, from both directions, but we do have to, we're a small but mighty group, and we have to make our voices loud, and and heard
0: yeah and i would just say record whatever big thing you're doing and put it out on those on those social media things and share it when you see those things like it and share it because we really like i mean that 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 social media is what is what we have now as a voice and we could have a lot more impact with that voice if we're sharing and and hearing one another and trying to share that to other people so
3: I think the other thing too is we just got done our CSU coordinators meeting and there was things in the guidelines that we all still perceive differently. So there's going to be differences. So I think one of the biggest things to not only promote your program is to get an APE guideline for your district and get that approved by the district board so that they know what it is and you have protocol for what you think is best practices for that district. And I know university um, professors and supervisors would love to help with that as well. Second thing. Every teacher needs to have professional development hours. So say to someone, I want to put on an adaptive PE professional development. They will be like, thank you, that's one last thing we need to plan for. Every single year at my previous district, my work in PA, we put on at least two adaptive physical education professional developments for all teachers, paraeducators, because they have to plan them anyway. And if you can plan them for them, that's less work. And now they know who you are. Okay, cool. yeah, yeah. I was
5: just going to add that uh, I was going to go back to the administrator point because at least in our district today uh, it's it's brutal we're broke so it's brutal to be an administrator and they want anything to make their school look good um, yeah. Yeah. and they like it even more if they don't have to invest any resources in it or any of their time so just the point's been made so I'm not going to belabor it but just keep going to your administrator give them things that they can put on the website. Um, if you do reverse mainstreaming, parents will jump in and will we'll think that that's the greatest thing ever, too. So yeah. just, just keep going to your administrator. Anything to make them look good because, frankly, their, their lifespan is about that of a half-life. Put, so, put, a, um, put a feather in their cap. Yeah, Let you know, a feather so. in make their cap. Make cat. them look good, like yeah. they'll like you.
0: We're going to go on to another question. Thank you. Tell us your name and where you're at.
6: I'm Angie, and I'm from Santa Clara, and I am the general
8: physical education. In the house, J.P. So my question to you is, if I go back to my district, and I have the ability to ask and create our own guidelines for APE, what are the things that I should ask? What are the logistics, the class sizes, the push-in, reverse mainstreaming, (laughs) co-teaching? What are those things? What More makes, specific than w- what you are said already. Yeah. What yeah. makes
4: quality PE? You should have the exact same class sizes as every other academic area. So if your uh, math classes have 25, you should have 25. If your English classes have 30, you should have 30.
3: Besides class size, what's your curriculum? What standards base? What's your scope and sequence? What are you teaching this month that you're going to be teaching next month? If administration knows that, now they have leeway for those PE teachers that aren't teaching. Because this month we're teaching this. Why are you not teaching that? no other academic area would be able to get away with it but in pe we can why we don't have a scope and sequence we don't have a curriculum so we can say not
6: observed
3: oh well i'm just i'm just teaching this today but next week yeah we're going to be doing this you just caught us on an off day no other academic area can get away with that pass a scope and sequence in a curriculum then you also know every standard is being taught throughout your program
4: the other thing is look at the guidelines and advocate for the supports that you need as a general pe teacher so if you have students that are being dumped into your class, included into your class, I put in big quotes, um, make sure that they have the appropriate supports. They need to be successful in there.
0: And I know you've had a lot of experience with, you have high school or you have PE teachers in your district. That's basically all you have. Yeah. How are you doing that? How are you uh, giving them guidelines and such, your PE teachers?
6: Well, uh, I mean, it's 32 different districts, so it works differently. Um, it, One, you need curriculum is the first thing. We had, just five years ago, half of my school district, 16 of the 32 districts, didn't have a physical education curriculum. We're in Iowa. We are, very proudly, the only state in the country that has no physical education standards. And if any of you have ever been to the Iowa State Fair, you know we need them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you do, you have to start with what you've got. So you need a great program, you need your teacher. And, and then oh, the other thing that um, teachers have done, we've, we've done, as Chris said, co-teaching. So if, if you have, I, and I also have a number of phys ed teachers who are duly licensed. A lot of the guys that um, were coming up young said, I can't get a job in phys ed, there are no jobs opening. And I said, you know, and these guys were, they were really good with kids with behavior disabilities as well. I said, if you get a job in BD, you will have a job for life anywhere. And then Zed Jobs came open. So they had been behavior disabilities teachers for four or five years. That works. Co-teaching works. I have another, I have a high school in Iowa City, a very significant um, kids with autism. So about eight of them, uh, every one of them has an FBA, a functional behavior analysis and a, behavior intervention plan, and they're all aggressive. Um, None of them can communicate well, so the special class teacher co-teaches with the phys ed teacher, and that's a very nice working arrangement. So it, it depends on what you've got. I had another school, and they came up with a great solution. They had three gen ed, phys ed, or they had three gen ed third grade classes, say. You know, so it's like, we have three third grade classes, three fourth grade classes but then the special ed kids at that grade level are included in those. Well, those third grade classes were too big. And the administrator in the building said, well, why don't we break those three gen ed PE classes into four and then disperse the kids with disabilities among all four classes? So they decreased the class size and just changed the schedule. So again, it's like what, you, what can you do in your building? How can you solve the problem? There are lots and lots of solutions, and the people in this room are examples of those. So whatever right. you've got, figure out how do I use it and how do I get to the All next right. so, step. So
0: just and let's get another question out there. And just um, is that uh, another thing too? Is there are some like curriculums out there? I know there's like a, a PE buddy curriculum out there, uh, and there's some things that could also guide you. And those are things that. They, a lot of times, are specific to your district, so asking some of us and whomever at this conference is probably a good place to start as well.
3: Yeah, use your state standards. California has state standards. That's all you need to be teaching. Go through and build a curriculum.
0: Next question.
7: Hi, Scott. Um, I'm Kathy Brinker from Chicago. It's snowing there right now. Yeah. Chicago, <laughs> China. Yeah. I just uh, completed uh, 35 years as an itinerant teacher in Adaptive PE. Yeah. And Woo! St- Started with started with myself, I now have six colleagues that are teaching uh, full time with our co-op. Um, I know we're talking podcast today, but I'm really into Twitter right now. Okay. And I think it's working really well for uh, learning things about regular physical education as well as adapted. One of the things I think we're having problems with though is we're not housing the adapted stuff anywhere in a Google Drive like you'll see with the elementary and secondary. Yeah. Also, we haven't even come up with a decent hashtag that we can all agree upon, right? So I, I guess from my perspective, I want to hear, you know, are you guys using it? What are we going to do? I mean, really, Twitter is where it's at right now with yeah. elementary PE particularly. So I want to hear, how do we bring that about in adaptive PE?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually led the social media for our consortium because yeah. we had nothing. So it is making leeways and we're trying to unify it. There's also a presentation going on during this conference all about social media. I know, Melissa Bittner, are you in the room? she she's presenting back there with other colleagues and everything. Um, we're both into social media. I do not use social media. I fought it. I never had one personally, right. but I saw the impact it has for programs and for a profession. So my program now has one. Um, the hashtags that we use a lot is this hashtag AdaptedPE. Hashtag APE Chatter is for anytime you want to propose a question and want feedback. It can be a placement question. Does not matter? Most of us university um, supervisors, professors are following APE Chatter and we're looking at questions that are kind of happening within the field. And we're hoping to utilize that for when we accept presentations at the national level, is say, this is what we need in the field, because this is what we've seen over social media. So, APE is another hashtag. But you can also look and see what is most popular and just follow a hashtag, and not have to worry about following programs as well. And then you can kind of change your hashtags based off upon the content you're getting.
0: And I, I, the Google Drive one's a good question, because I know that there's a lot of places doing those shared Google Drives, and actually, like, I can't remember right now, but I know that there is mm-hmm. some stuff with APE and shared Google Drives, and I don't know if anybody else ha- can shout out one, because I think there, I know there is, but I can't remember, uh, like, there's an APE specific one, and I can't remember it now. Now, Chris, you're pretty active on Twitter as well, correct? Uh, I follow you. You, You're the one, you have the emoji of the guy with the soccer ball, I do. Uh,
5: I was active on Twitter er, until uh, I'm on U.S. Soccer's Board of Directors, and then soccer trolls started yelling at me about the state of U.S. soccer and how we don't have a men's coach, and we failed to qualify for the World Cup. So um, I was fairly fairly active on it until that started happening, and I I self-removed, but I am on there. Um, I Actually, to best point, I go on um, and follow certain hashtags. I'm more of just a consumer now, I would say. I just go on to consume content, and to your point, it's a fantastic place. One of the biggest things I've noticed on the general phys ed side of things is that... um it's either on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. I don't know, but they, they have a hashtag, and they get a whole conversation live-time live conversation going where they have a moderator who puts up questions, and then everybody can chime in, and you can go through, and you wouldn't believe the types of answers you get. So I would agree that Twitter is where it's at. Instagram, with uh, people's privacies, are typically a little more private on Instagram because it involves pictures and faces. So that's a little bit tougher, I think, to uh, really share professional development. Um, but Twitter, and um, just the, you, just have to get, you just have to jump on to get familiar with it. Just start clicking around.
0: All right. We'll take one more question. And just on that that point, um, uh, just on that point, like that, people obviously want to engage with these things, and so it just shows how much, you know, people want content and such like that, and that we need, and that we're creating it ourselves. We also have to be very careful with things like Twitter and Facebook because it's not regulated, and anybody can put anything out there. But it's a great resource. Just you know, be a little cautious too. Who's next?
2: All right. This will be our last question. And the social tonight, please continue the conversation with all these people. (laughs) Yes. Hi. I'm
4: Laura Moss-White, and I work for the East uh, San Fernando Valley. I just wanted to ask you a question, who do you want parents to write their letters to? Who specifically do they address
6: to? Powerful question. That is a very powerful (laughs) question. question.
3: that is a great question because we don't know when it's going to get reauthorized, so we don't know who's going to be the person our contact. Um, so I would keep it pretty broad and just say, you know, Department of Education, and that should be where it addresses. And it can be even letters that you obtain that are addressed to you. If you get a follow-up letter that says you have your, their permission to forward it on, um, to the consortium, and then the consortium, will put them all together, so. How about um, if I've received like posters with like thank yous and, and
4: saying AP is the greatest, and all, APE and all that. Can that yes. also like take pictures Yes, we are accepting pictures that? as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And one. then I can just go to yeah. the website and then download Yep,
3: consortium it? has a Gmail that you can send everything to. Um, we're trying to continue the workforce of figuring out who's going to be part of the board that's going to really uphold this and be able to collect all of it. We also have a Google Drive that we keep everything we've ever done and historian and everything like that. So there is a Gmail. I'm just not sure. I'm pretty sure it's... Yeah, on the website there's contact us and you can click it there. Um, Even if you just hold on to it, when it starts getting reauthorized, you'll be blasted with this is where we're collecting and this is what's happening. So even if you just store them on your own Google Drive and just have them ready, then that's when we're gonna need them, so.
0: Well, and thank you everyone for like, Coming and listening to, to our hour and a half long conversation, our little variety of show of <laughs> I did a monologue, our panel, and a QA. So I really appreciate it. And um, I want to say thank you to our panel. You've all been wonderful. Let's <clears> give everyone <throat> <throat> a round of applause. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And, it, and as uh, Vanessa said, in about 20 minutes we have Dr. Block, and he's going to talk about inclusion and give his take. He's one of our leaders in the field. and he, uh, He's an amazing person and an amazing mind. And then at social, I hope to see you all there. And let's have some drinks and food and talks. And and let's have fun. So thank you very much. Thank
3: you. A big shout out to all the students that are here. You are the future. Thank you, students, for attending.